Hello, welcome to my secret obsession. Today we are talking with Hannah Willow. Thanks for having me. I would love to um, introduce you to our audience and let you get right in and start telling us a little bit about yourself. I write contemporary romance under my name, Hannah Willow, and I write paranormal fantasy and paranormal romance under a pen name, Harlow Frost. Oh, awesome. And what I gave you was uh, the first of a sapphic urban fantasy under the Harlow Frost name. That's the two chapters I sent to you. Right. And I have read those and our listeners will be able to listen to those at the end of this interview. And I really liked those two chapters. I, I really enjoyed it. And now that you've said something, you said the sapphic romance, then all of a sudden one of my questions or predictions is already already skewed. I thought um, that maybe there would be a love interest with Nolan, but I guess that's not going to be. No, Nolan. I was debating bringing Nolan in. It's So the books have eight books in the series, okay. and I debated bringing Nolan in later because Nolan is part of the Chicago pack. But if in chapter one, Tamsin is in Chicago and Paige is in Santa Cruz. Um, and it's the coastal wolves because the series takes place in Santa Cruz. Okay. The first book is kind of written like a cozy mystery where Tamsin's aunt dies and Tamsin, you know, the whole like cozy mystery idea where you're, you inherit the house and -hmm. have to figure out the mystery. Okay. And I was going to stop at just the first, but then I just got so intrigued by the whole like witches and werewolves and setting that I had set up. I was like, I have to write more. Yes. It called to you, didn't it? Yeah. So that often happens. And then, so then the whole, like, I came up with a whole arc and I was like, now I have to put every trope in here. So I had to like put, you know, that friends to lovers, enemy to lovers, one bed. Like I try to put in every book, there's, you know, fake dating. Right. Every book in the series has like, at least one of the tropes in there, just Uh because I was like, that was my challenge. It is fun to have the different tropes. And um, I'm kind of trying to put a little more. So I'm trying to ease and weave some of the tropes into those as I'm writing now. I never thought about tropes. So what I was saying to you before, I started writing in 2019. My history, my background is uh, I teach math. I've always taught math and I'm, I think I'm decent at it. Uh, I have two sons and my oldest is panromantic. My moms are lesbian. And so I was just brought up in the kind of the queer Mm -hmm. world. My dad donated to my moms as a gay man. And they think I'm one of the first of the queer um, gaby boom. Okay. My son was starting to read and I would read with him because I've always liked YA books. I like everything. Right. And so we'd be reading books together and discussing them. And one of the books, and though my son is panromantic, he's also asexual. He he likes the books. He doesn't care if it's in there, but it doesn't really interest him. Uh-huh. And there was a book that was YA and it was touted as being one of the low spice books, okay. which he liked. He's like, I just want to read for the fantasy, for the 
everything, but I don't need a big romance in there. Uh-huh. And the main character walks into the room and it said they were dancing like they were having an orgy. And I was like, really? That's that's the best description you can give is that? Mm-hmm. And so I started thinking about that and that just kind of niggled in my brain. And for some reason I thought, oh, I have... I'm a math teacher. I've always avoided English classes and I'm dyslexic. How hard would it be to write a book? Mm -hmm. So I put it upon myself to write a book for my son that involved grit and turns and twists and all this fun stuff. Mm -hmm. And I ended up writing a series because once the first book was written, he wanted more and more. My friend who went to school with me for math became a librarian. And she said, once this is published, I'll put it in my library. And I'm like, what? (laughs) Yeah. But since I teach and what I write now is romance, Mm -hmm. I was like, well, I don't want my students writing the reading naughty scenes by their teacher. I think that's inappropriate. Yeah. It just is kind of odd. So thus pen names were introduced into my life. The funny thing is my son loves to write too. And he is a brilliant storyteller, but he doesn't love the writing process. Mm -hmm. So he will brainstorm with me. Anything I write that's YA, he reads and he's like a boss. So I'm Uh writing something under my real name that's YA right now. And he'll read like three or four chapters at a time. And he's like, oh, you missed this. You need to expand on this and add a chapter about this. Tell me when it's done. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like the worst manager ever. Um, It's hilarious. But any of the stuff that's romance or naughty scenes, I'll be like, Uh okay, this is what I've written. And this is what I've like, here's the outline. And he's like, that's good, but you should do this and this. Oh, and a scene like this would be really hilarious Uh because everything I write, even if it's romance, I like to have a good story. I I like to be interested. I like a good storyline. So he brainstorms everything with me. He just doesn't brainstorm the naughty scene. (laughs) Right. Yeah. No, that is awesome. Um, that's fun to have him. I, I sometimes use my girls as sounding boards too, but um, they don't, they don't actually do much reading of my books because what I'm focusing on now is more of the, the steamy stuff. So I think um, they obviously aren't going to want to want to read what their mother has written um, no. when it comes to that. And I understand that, that that's expected. So you said math. I, that is incredible to me. I was never good at math. It, I think there is something about brains where some people it just, being good at math, it just comes almost more naturally to them. And you must be one of those people. You said you were dyslexic too. So I'm curious if, was it a challenge having dyslexia when you were dealing with numbers? Because do you switch those around sometimes? When I'm really stressed, I do. And I always know when I'm having a really bad day, because I'll be teaching and I'll say like 53 and I'll write 35 on the board. Right. And that's always exciting. But... (laughs) I do teach math and I've always been good at math, but I always have said I'm more into patterns. Okay. And my students like my class because they're always like, you're not like a normal math teacher. Have always taught math through weird analogies and storytelling. Uh And it's funny thinking about that now. Everything I've taught has been equated to an interesting analogy, an interesting story, kind of trying to attach math to something they can relate to mm-hmm. so they can attach it, make it more concrete. Right. And it's that same storytelling that I use when I write a book. Mm-hmm. That is interesting. Cause you know, when you, when somebody can kind of like build themselves into it, like you do a story and it, it really does kind of connect with people in a different way. 
can understand or grasp it more easily. Do you teach high school math or? I teach at university level. That's right. I'm sorry. We already said that. But then when you use the word kids, I thought, oh, maybe she does teach younger ones. No, I teach adults. They're all students. They're all my kids. Yeah, they are. I know. I used to teach and, and I refer to them as my kids too, but mine were second grade. So, oh, so they know, bless good. your heart. And I don't mean bless your heart in like the Southern way. I mean it like I, I taught high school for years before I moved up to university uh-huh. level. And, you know, you always have to do your time as a substitute teacher too. Yeah. And I was in the elementary classes a few times. And ugh, I always, I always joke to my friends who've never been in the schools. Uh-huh. Elementary is where you have to just be nice and loving to everybody. Yes. <laughs> Middle school is where students learn to be mean to each other. And yeah. you as the teacher have to monitor and moderate. Yeah. And in high school is when you can be mean back. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> kind of. It is, it is kind of that way. Um, and I'm just too sarcastic and sassy to be below the high school level. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Because, you know, and one thing I liked about the um, second grade group is that they are sweet kids. And, you know, and, and you really you really do have to almost um, when you're talk- dealing with the young ones, you are kind of like a caregiver. You know, you're you're not harsh on them. You can't be. Um, and I wouldn't want to be. But, mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. It's a good observation that, you know, when the younger the kids, the more almost like caregiver or parent like role you have in that child's life. Um, I, I liked that. I, I always had great kids when I taught and, and I had wonderful parents who would volunteer a lot. And so I don't know, I, I just had really good experiences with the younger kids. I subbed one time in seventh grade and it was a half day. So I only had to be there for four hours or three and a half or so. And then I actually only had to be there to teach kids for two class periods. The other two, they had me doing other stuff. And I was like, I will never do middle school again. They were terrible. And uh, how can anybody want to do middle school is beyond me. We should have another podcast of nightmares of school because I'm like, oh, there was this one kid in a subclass who threatened me because he was in a gang. And that summer he was in my summer class. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my. Yeah. You really could. Teachers could uh, go constantly just telling their stories and about classes or students or parents. Um, I find <laughs> parents are the, are the hardest part of teaching. Um, not really so much for me because I did have, I was lucky that I did have great parents, but you know, there's always one. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And that goes into college and it shouldn't. So yeah, we could, we could, we could spend hours. <laughs> That's surprising that you, you have it too in college. That's interesting. My girls are going to college and I'm so excited for them to be going to college and it kind of like removes me from the role. And and not that I do a whole lot with them now and school wise, they're pretty independent, but I'm kind of looking forward to not having to be the one to wake them up and make sure that they get to school. (laughs) You know, my oldest is in college and that's probably my favorite part, Uh but he actually chose the university where I teach So when, and it's a suitcase college, so that means it's most people head home over the weekends. Okay. Mm -hmm. And first semester he had a Friday class and I don't teach on Fridays. The university has kind of bowed down to students who Uh always want to go home on Thursday night. And there are very few classes on Fridays, but this semester, none of his classes meet on Friday. 
So he's like, I'm probably going to come home more often on weekends, which means I'll be driving him home Friday mm -hmm. and then back again on Monday, which okay. means he and I will be in the car a lot because it's okay. an hour away. Oh, that is a drive. Which means he and I will be talking books a lot more. Yeah. But that's cool. And he's old enough now. He really, when he gives you input, I mean, it's valuable input. It's absolutely, you know, it's really means something. Oh, he gives great. Like last night we were talking and I'm like, have we discussed how this character is going to be taken down yet? He's like, no, do you want to now? I'm like, <laughs> I'm not at that chapter yet. Well, that is awesome. Thank you for sharing with us. Um, and how your son is such a part of your writing. I think that's fabulous. And you know, people wouldn't necessarily expect that. So that that is kind of cool that you have that. Um, and I did read the first two chapters. It's right. called Pacific Pack. It's the first of the Coastal Wolves series. And there are seven books in the main series. And then there's an eighth novella, okay. which is um, the first two characters who are in Pacific Pack. Each book is an HEA. Um, they go on a honeymoon. And okay. the last one. So there's a little bit of tension in it, but it's not nearly as like tensiony as the first seven. Okay, perfect. All right. Well, that is exciting. Um, thank you. And if you want another time, if you, or when you release another book, if you'd like to come on again, um, I'd love to have you on again. If if that's something you'd be willing to do or interested. Absolutely. In. I had a book just released on the fifth, so the next one comes out on April sixth. Oh, a different series. Okay. A very steamy, steamy one. I was is there anything else you'd like to share with us before we get to your chapters? My, You can get my books signed and I'll send signed books. I also have um, anyone who's in like the Midwest area. There is the Romance Authors event by, I'm going to get the right name, by the Book Nook on okay. February 17th. Okay. Or is it the 19th? Whatever that Saturday is. Okay. Up in Marionette, Wisconsin. Uh-huh. And I will be there signing books as oh, well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate it. Well, this has been fun. This has been fun. I hope you enjoyed our talk with Hannah Willow. We're going to listen now to the first two chapters of her book, Pacific Pack. That is book one in the Coastal Wolves series. Chapter one, Running with Coyotes. The wind tickled her face. The leaves and branches scraped her muzzle. The scents of the woods filled her snout. She ran, feeling the pull of the moon, running through the woods and hunting. Tamson loved everything about being a wolf. The scents, the woods, the wet soil, the animals around her called to her senses. A deep breath brought her a distant whiff of a doe, but a lone wolf couldn't bring down a deer and give her the honorable death she deserved. Moonlight illuminated the small, open field she cut across. Tamsin slowed. Being alone, she needed to be wary of other predators. The series of sharp yips sounded from her left. She stopped and lowered herself into the long grass. Tamsin lifted her nose and sniffed. Coyotes, two or three. Taking a deeper breath, she separated what she could smell. Three, definitely three of the beasts. When lighting alone... Don't let the opposition get behind you, dear. But, Dad, I'm out there all alone. How do I control what other people do? He reached out and muffled my hair, the auburn waves passing back and forth in front of my eyes. That's why we have a pack, Tam. You're never alone when you have family. Tamsin shook herself from the memory. She'd been alone since her dad died, over five years earlier, 
and in that time, she'd learned to fight without a pack. With one more pull of the air, she tried to figure out where the three opponents were. She inched backwards before she realized one of the beasts had circled around her while she'd given over to the reminiscence. She slunk to the right until she could see the small reddish-brown animal. One-on-one, she knew she could take it down. A wolf. She was larger than average, much bigger than the coyotes. A quick scan told her the other two were far enough away. It was worth the risk. She pounced, her jaw coming down on the animal's neck. Bones cracked with a quick jerk of her maw. The weight of the animal's carcass dragged her head down. She dropped the dead enemy. One down, two to go. Before she could get the coyote's fur from her teeth, pain radiated down her back leg. Tamson whipped around and saw a small beast, brown and raggedy, locked on her hind leg. She growled low to avoid alerting the local pack of her whereabouts. They were running just north of her, and it wasn't safe to let more predators know she was wounded. She reared up and spun, landing with her front paws in the newcomer's belly. The move just caused the coyote to dig his teeth in deeper. The third coyote darted out of the brush, low and fast, aiming for Tamson's belly. Tamson rolled, barely avoiding his teeth in evisceration. She snapped as the attacker passed over her and got a piece of the third coyote's haunch. Blood splashed her face as the coyote barked loud enough to wake the dead. Suddenly, Tamson was free from both coyote's teeth, but they had her in their sights. She knew they'd be on her if she ran. Testing her leg, she couldn't put much weight on it. As the coyotes flanked her, ready to pounce, she knew she couldn't make the first move. She had to wait for their attack to react. Tamson watched them, her head jerking back and forth, waiting wondering if this was her time. Even if she won, she wasn't sure she could make it back to her car if she sustained more injuries. Should she have accepted the invitation to the Chicago pack? No, that would have never worked. She couldn't be a pack member under just any alpha. Her dominance level was too high. Being a lone wolf had made more sense. Until she ended up in a fight for her life. A streak of dark gray flew from the tree line, slamming into the larger of the two coyotes, knocking it aside. She knew she'd gotten it out of the picture for a moment. Immediately, Tamson pounced on the other one, her jaw coming down hard on the animal's neck, tearing deeply to end the fight fast. With a quick glance at the other attacker, a werewolf, she realized it was her client, Nolan Barn. Before Nolan could size her up, Tamson fled. Her gait was more of a limping walk than a run, but she didn't think the other werewolf would follow. Tamson wasn't part of the pack, and protocol dictated Nolan check in with his alpha first. To be safe, Tamson made her way to the stream and limped through it for a mile before climbing out and heading towards her car. It was bad enough she would hear about Nolan's aid the next time they worked out together. She didn't also need his comments about how dominant a werewolf she was. As Tamson ended her run, her stomach cramped going to need food before I'm going to be able to shift and heal my injuries. I've pushed myself too hard tonight. Slowing down, she searched and found the scent of a rabbit. She took in a long pull of air and smelled no other wolves nearby. Without making a sound, she slunk in low and quiet. She approached the fat bunny, mouth watering at the idea of meat. At the last moment, before it could run, she scooped the rabbit up in her teeth and gave a sharp shake, breaking its neck. 
The animal only satiated a bit of Tamsin's hunger, so she ran as best she could on her three good legs, hunting again. As she searched, she moved slowly toward civilization. It was late, and though she loved running as a wolf, the human needed to be up early, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, to teach high school English the next day. No more gallivanting and playing. She found a pair of voles, not her favorite, but they'd give her the energy she needed to shift, and she could eat more when she got home. Afterwards, her belly felt full. All she wanted to do was take a nap, but she forced herself onward until she found her car. Light drops of rain began to fall, splashing bits of dirt and dust into her eyes. With a grumble, she began to shift back. It hurt more than normal with her bleeding leg, but after a few minutes, she lay on her back in human form, panting. She checked the damage. No broken bones, just a few deep gashes. Opening her trunk, she found her first aid kit and applied antibiotic cream and a bandage. Good enough. She grabbed her clothes and slipped them on. Although being new didn't bother her, the humans didn't like naked people running around their city, even inside a car. It was time to head toward Chicago and her apartment for some much-needed sleep. As scary as the wolves and coyotes were, high school students could smell any weakness, and they would eat her alive. Chapter 2. Work Will Kill You Paige wore her swimsuit with a tank top and sweatshirt to keep warm from the cool breeze coming from the ocean. Three families sat on the beach, watching the steel-blue water that matched the dark sky. None of the tourists that had come for the Santa Cruz boardwalk seemed to have made it down to the beach today. The water was just too cold. Everyone here was a regular. She recognized their setups. She debated closing her umbrella and letting the sun warm her. Checking out the other two lifeguards on duty, they appeared to be as bored as she was. The chance anyone would go more than ankle deep in the water was very low. She didn't think her day could get any worse. Working a slow day at the beach was as tedious and boring as watching paint dry. Her mind wandered to the book she was writing. I wonder if I could add something about the beach or a creature from the ocean to my book. The kraken came from below, terrorizing the crew of the ship as his mighty tentacles. Her phone rang, pulling her from her plotting. The display read, Boss Man, D. Hey, Dominic. Paige got a lead on a story. Downtown. Need you there now. His voice was brisk and distracted. Paige could hear voices and typing in the background. The online paper's office was always a hive of activity. She wished she could work there full-time, but the money wasn't enough. I'm at the beach. It's a murder, Paige. You're our best writer for these stories. One more look at the three families, and Paige made up her mind. Waving her rescue tube, she got the other two guards' attention. She signaled she was leaving. They nodded their agreement. The guards weren't needed on such a slow day. Okay, send me the address. I'm on my way. She signed off with Dominic and headed toward the locker room, where she changed into jeans and a t-shirt. In her supervisor's office, she told him she was heading out. With an empty beach, Paige was unsurprised that the supervisor was fine with paying one less lifeguard for the day. Paige jogged a few blocks to find her 10-year-old Honda Civic, and headed to the address Dominic texted to her. She had to park a block away because of all the emergency vehicles in the area. A murder was big business. Once she got to the scene, she saw the body being covered. Medical personnel focused on it. 
cops putting down numbered yellow plastic tents and taking pictures, other officials holding people back, and many onlookers watching everything. Phones were out everywhere as spectators tried to get their own images of the gruesome scene. Off to one side stood Officer Ray Summers, a friend and contact she used for her stories to ensure her articles were accurate. Officer Summers looked busy, but Paige could get some preliminary notes down while she waited. She figured this would be where she spent the rest of her day. There was a lot of blood. She had gotten a momentary glimpse of the man before the sheet covered him. His neck and gut looked eaten by something wild. Paige began writing questions in her notepad. Could wild animals have come into the center of town and attacked a random person? Which animal wandered this far from the wilderness? Did the human capture the animal, bring it here, and lose control? Was the animal wild or domestic before it attacked the person? If the animal was a pet, why attack the human? Is the person local or tourist? She started a new page. If not an animal kill, did it start as a mugging gone wrong? How did the person end up here? Where did he come from? She snapped a few pictures. The body on the ground, the blood on the wall, and the number of areas from which the police collected evidence. As she worked, the officers tried to disperse the crowd. She saw that Officer Summers had moved to crowd control. When he got close enough, she waved. Will you have time to talk today? Later, the man sighed. This is big, Paige. It happened midday during tourist season. I'll tell you right now that he was a tourist. The death was brutal, and there were no witnesses. He has his wallet and keys and all his money. So it wasn't a mugging gone wrong. Beyond that, it'll take some time. I've got to go. Paige found a bench under a lamp across the street and fleshed out her notes. She took a few more photos and began doing some research. Who were the tourist groups in town? What animals are most likely to attack the neck and gut? Anything that could help her story once Officer Summers could give her more. Time passed slowly, and she realized the sun had gone down. Her stomach grumbled, and she debated getting a burger and fries. Some of her notes were written. Some were voice notes on things she wanted to research later. Looking up, the alley was cleared of everything and everyone. She sent a quick text to Officer Summers, and the officer said he'd email Paige tomorrow. With a sigh, Paige debated what to do next. She had a bunch of notes and a good idea of what had happened. She needed to get more information. She decided to organize her notes first while everything was clear in her mind and the alley was in front of her, then dinner, then home for sleep. Bending over her notes, she lost herself to the organization of her thoughts. She needed to figure out where the tourists came from. There were so many questions about the animal. She debated starting to look up some stuff on her phone. She tapped the possible research tool in her pocket, but figured the battery was dead. She started a list of priorities for the next day. A sledgehammer slammed into her side. She landed on the ground with a stab of piercing pain radiating through her body. God above, what was that? She jerked her head down to see a beast with glowing eyes gnawing at her side. Agony erupted everywhere. Arms trembling, she swung, but the contact did nothing to dislodge the monster. Oh God, it kept eating her. She kicked and tried to get away, but nothing helped. Help! She wasn't sure if she'd yelled it or only thought it. I'm being eaten alive. Thank you for sharing your time with me. I hope you enjoyed these chapters. New episodes drop on Tuesdays and Fridays. 
To keep up with the various novels and authors that we will feature, you can follow My Secret Obsession on Facebook, Instagram, and X at Cherish Lively, or visit the website at tinyurl.com slash Cherish Lively. Goodbye.